Rolex wearing. Diamond ring wearing. Chip feeling. Wheeling dealing. Limousine riding. Jet flying. Son of a gun. And I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. This is the Dynasty Warzone, the People's Dynasty Podcast, and here are your hosts, Memphis at DFF Memphis and Jerry at Jerry Sin DFF. Hey, fellow Warzone listeners. My name is Zach Camps. Uh, I'm not golfing or slinging my hands a monster. I'm usually thinking about Dynasty Fantasy Football. A couple months back, I joined the Patreon just to take my dynasty passion to the next level. And I'll tell you what, well, let's just say there's writer downers for days in the Patreon. The member, you get access to the bonus pod where the guys take the filter off and talk about a wide variety of topics that maybe they won't cover on the normal show. You also get access to Memphis and Jerry for one-on-one advice, personal dynasty dilemmas. They'll tackle them for you, help you out with it. You just don't get that anywhere else. But I'd say... My favorite part about the Depth of Patreon is the uh, the group chat. Tell you what, these guys are some excellent minds, tons of fun. The fire in there is amazing. Great platform to post trade questions, debate rookie values, share insight, interact with some cool people from across the globe. You know, shout out to those guys in Australia. They're blowing my phone up all the time. You know, the best part is there's no Twitter trolls or Facebook trolls arguing about stuff they don't know anything about. So uh, if you want to enjoy your dynasty experience even more win those championships pause the podcast right now sign up and you can thank me later in the group chat what's happening guys happy draft week and welcome to the dynasty war zone d people's dynasty podcast and if you are listening to this on wednesday morning when the show usually drops then you know that it's about 36 hours away from greatness about 36 hours away from glory and about 36 hours away from meaningful sports on tv I cannot wait. I am super excited. I absolutely love the NFL draft. I have long before I was a dynasty player. It's just an awesome time of the year. And it couldn't come at a better time, to be quite honest. So I thought, man, who are we going to have on this week? Who would make the most sense to have come on and talk about these rookies as the draft is here? And I started looking back through the shows that we've done and the guests that we had on. And I was like, man, we had our first guests as it relates to the 2020 class on in the middle of January. It was uh, Kane Fassell and Nick Whalen. And then we've had guests from the middle of January all the way to last week, which would have been the middle of April. Three straight months of some of the most fire, awesome dynasty rookie content out there. So I was like, man, who can we bring back? What can we do? Man, I would love to have him back. I would love to have him back. But you know what? I just broke it down. I was like, you know what? It's a lot of work, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a best of show. I went back. I culled through the last three months of shows, and I brought back a little bit of everybody. Everybody we've had on the last three months, whether that was Nick Whalen, whether that was Kane Fassell, Tyler Gunther, Shane Hallam, Garrett Price, Angelo, Matt Waldman, Mark Schofield, And last, and certainly not least, Mr. Ray Garvin, a.k.a. Ray GQ. I thought, man, let's just take some of the best from everybody. 
So this is going to be the longest Dynasty Warzone, I believe, in the history of the Dynasty Warzone. At least one that we did not chop into a two-parter. So you're going to hear a little buffery music between clips. I, I hope that you find it interesting. Uh, I have all the quarterbacks pulled together, all the running backs together, all the wide receivers together. And even though the tight end position is ugly as hell this year, I did get one clip of the tight end position. I believe that was Mark Schofield. And I really hope you guys enjoy this. No Jerry, obviously. A little bit of Jerry in the body of the greatest hits, as well as a little bit of Memphis. But before I get into some of the other promotional stuff, I do want to make sure that even though they did not come on to necessarily cover rookies, their guest and friendship and helping our listeners did not go without notice. So quick shout out to Bobby Koch, Izzy and JP of the DTC, Bob Long, JD and Dan over at the Goat District Pod, Jordan McNamara of Under the Helmet, the Dynasty Trade HQ guys, Shane, Sipes, and Jeremy, Kyle of the Fantasy Football Fellas, John Dabari and Pete Law both over at the DLF, and of course, also not last, and certainly not least, my boy G of the Aussie guys. To say that we've been blessed and had a star-studded guest list so far in 2020 would be an understatement. Jerry and I have worked real hard to create and maintain and protect the friendships that we have in this industry because it goes a long way toward helping you. Again, this is going to be a long show. Uh, buckle in. Maybe you listen on your commute to work, listen on your lunch hour, listen on your way home. Maybe you can listen all at once. Maybe you're quarantined. Who knows? But I think this is a great way to get you ready for the NFL draft. And we're going to be back here again tomorrow. Not a Friday show this week, but a Thursday show. It will be Friday over at the Dynasty Happy Hour Contractor. And if you're interested in the Dynasty Happy Hour Contractor, you just got to go over to the Dynasty Happy Hour feed uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeans, whatever, Spotify. And you just subscribe. And that dude's going to be dropping every Friday. This week, my guest is supposed to be Zach. And Zach and I are going to break down his roster. And man, I'm really excited. And I'm really excited that it's, it's encouraged a lot of people to jump on and become members of the Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Dynasty Warzone. I kind of went full Stone Cold Steve Austin last week and just went off in a, in a rant. But it, it really is. It's, it's not expensive. It's, again, if you would just drink Folgers for two days, two days a month, you could easily afford the premium package over at patreon.com. And by premium, it's like five bucks. It's super simple, and it's the best way to not only meet a bunch of like-minded individuals. These guys just started a Patreon league, Superflex. But it's a great way to get individual attention from me, from Jerry, however we can help you. And you're like, well, where's the value in that? And I've been thinking about this because, you know, I want to make sure I'm explaining it to you the best I can. I remember when I used to play a lot of poker, and I was playing poker long before the Chris Moneymaker boom of like 2000 or whatever it was, and I was the fish. You know, the old saying is that if you can't spot the sucker at the table, you are the sucker. So switch that over to your Dynasty League. If you can't spot the sucker in the league, you are the sucker. So I took that to heart. That was from the movie Rounders, and I went out and bought books. You know, the internet wasn't quite then what it is now, and information wasn't as readily available. You know, all the other stuff that, you know, poker players do now. I went out, found out the best poker book in the world was Doyle Brunson's Super System. 
and along with a bunch of others. Like I pour through podcasts the way I used to pour through poker books. And it was an investment. Super System was not a cheap book. And neither was Mike Caro's Book of Tells. But those books were an investment in my poker game. And as I read those books and started applying the principles behind those books, what do you know? I started breaking even. And then eventually I became winner. And then eventually I became long-term winner. So you have to invest in your game. Uh, I've said this a lot. None of us know as much as all of us. And those books from Doyle Brunson, Mike Caro, TJ Cloutier, I know I'm dating myself, but it, it went a long way. And that's what the Patreon's all about. It's about expanding your mind, giving you best practices and ways to be a better dynasty owner and a better dynasty builder. A lot of guys in this industry, and I mean a lot of guys, and ladies for that matter, are really good at identifying talent. My challenge to you is listen to other podcasts. 99.9% of them are really into just telling you who's good and who's bad. And sometimes I just want to sit back and say, no kidding. That's not actually what I say. I actually curse quite a bit. Uh, No kidding. Yeah, we know so-and-so is good. Yeah, we see so-and-so's got a great athletic profile. But how does that help you build a winning roster? How does that help you build a sustainable roster? And that's what Jerry and I and the Patreons, that's what we're doing in the group chat. That's what we're doing in the one-on-one service. So there is my heartfelt, if you're interested, patreon.com forward slash dynasty warzone. And we'll get you fixed up with the group chat and some individual help. Want to give a big shout out to Aaron and Darren, our two newest Patreons. Uh, We had just the past couple of days. Wanted to shout you out on the show. Five-star reviews, as many as two new five-star reviews. And thank you very much. I know it's a quasi nuisance pain in the butt to go to your app and, and, and leave the five star. It really is. You're like, crap, I'm, I'm driving. And please don't leave a five star while you're driving. But you know what? If, if you're sitting in your office, if you're working from home, if you're going for a walk down the street, getting some fresh air, stop, reach in your pocket, open up your podcast app, whatever it is, iTunes, whatever, and, and give us a five star. You want to leave some nice comments? That's super cool. If not, the five star is more than enough, and we thank you for that. So there you go. Uh, we'll call out the social media real quick. We are at Dynasty Warzone on both Instagram and Twitter. And now let's get to our long list of nine guests throughout clips throughout this show. I hope you enjoy the next uh, hour and 45 or so minutes. And we'll be right back here on Thursday with some more guests doing another clip-type show of best draft practices because we know a lot of you guys will have drafts going on this weekend. We'll have the man of the hour. We'll have the man of the power as well as some more of these wonderful guests coming by to help prep you for those Sunday drafts. And until then, I'll catch you guys real soon. And on behalf of Jerry, I am Memphis, and we're just here to make the world a better place for fantasy football. Enjoy this clip show. Thanks, guys. I, I think they are. Uh, I still think this is a really good class. Uh, I, you know, look, I I know that we we, we kind of overhype every class. I, I do the same thing. I'm as guilty as anyone. But you have to go in knowing that hey, there's going to be a couple guys that go back to school that you have really high. Like I think we knew we kind of knew that coming in. That I think it was going to be you know Travis Etienne. I did not, but that's going to happen. And so I, I kind of expected Trevor Hubbard to go back to school. I expected Devonta um, to go back to school. So to me, that's fine. 
Uh, I think this class is still really good. I still think as a whole, 2020 is that stud class. I, I think it's, it's really deep. You have really great guys at the top, at running back, at wide receiver, at quarterback. And I think you have the depth on both of those positions that you're going to find productive players later in your draft. So I still think the investments that you made and kind of the premium that some people, including myself, as you know, paid for some of these picks, I'm still really happy with my choices. You know, I think 2021 is decent. Um, I think the wide receiver class is really good. And I think the tight end class has has a, uh, some spark to it too, if you're in kind of a tight end premium or two tight end league. But, you know, past that, uh, you, you have a couple of those running backs that went back to school. That'll be good. Uh, you know, I think running backs weak, uh, much weaker than 2020. I think quarterbacks weaker than, than 2020. I still think 2020 is kind of the premium. And it might be one of the the deepest wide receiver classes that I've I've graded and the running backs are pretty outstanding, especially the top 10 to 15. So I'm really happy with it still. I I love Tua. Tua is my QB one and it's not even close. I like Joe Burrow. He's been growing on me, but Tua is special. And I'm not a doctor, as Kenny had already said. I use this on Twitter. So I'm not going to act like I know what the hip's going to be long-term or what the ankle's going to be long-term or that those are compound injuries that are going to lead to other injuries. When he, when he hurt his hip, two big D linemen landed on him. You know, it's like, well, sometimes, you know, that happens. But if you want to look at Joe Burrow, who people love, and his 2019 season, like, you know, and he's the Heisman, and he's the best thing since sliced bread, Let's. I got some numbers for you since you like throwing numbers out here, Memphis. So let's go just 2019 season, okay? And we have touchdown percentage. Burrow was 11.5 per attempt. Tua was 13.1. Completion percentage. Burrow was 77.6. Tua was 71.4. He's got him there. Yards per attempt, 10.9 for Burrow, 13.3 for Tua. So he throwed further down the field, less completion percentage. If we go the last two years combined, Touchdown percentage, Burrow was 8.3 to 2 is 12.5, 4.2 more yard, more touchdown percentage attempts. Completion percentage, 2 was 70 to Burrow's 68.8. And then yards per attempt, crazy. Burrow was 9.45. Two was almost three yards more at 11.2. Tua has dominated college football for two years. You want to go back another half, won a national championship game. He's got the intellect to look off the safety and come back to, to Devontae Smith to win the national championship game in the most high-pressure situation, which if you look at what's happened in the playoffs, Lamar Jackson, I don't know that he was great in those high-pressure situations. And Russell Wilson, I don't know that he was great either. Today, you got a guy that did that. It was in those huge games and put up the numbers for two years in a row. You had mentioned some other reasons why he put up some good numbers, but he still did them, and he has the arm. That's a guy I want on. So many super flex teams. I, I, I'm with you, but for me, this also gets down to like some dynasty roster building, rookie drafting construction stuff for me as well. So in the first round, like I said, especially where you're drafting to, a, I have to feel like I'm getting a lock. I mean, that, that's one of the core pieces of your roster. I'm very, very conservative, and I, I tend to go the most safe in the first round. Now, uh, as a lot of you know, and if you've ever drafted with me or hear me, I'll, I'll, I'll gamble my ass off in the second through fifth round. I don't care. I'm a little bit more uh, shoot from the hip there and, and kind of go with that. But in the first round, I have to feel like a lock. And I, I'm sorry, three years, 
three injuries requiring surgery, and and that's in the S and that's in the SEC, which I know is a tough conference. But now you're going to the NFL, man. It just gives me pause. So th- that's why it's not a talent issue. It's not that I don't think that he can produce issue. It's not that he's a bad guy issue. It's it's an injury issue versus what like I said. I'd have to pay anywhere from 101 to 105 and I I just can't invest that with the injury history you erase that medical condition you take that red flag off of him boom done sold lock but because of the injury history I have to say no but Jerry who are you saying no to Jerry Uh, I'm not gonna let you talk give me a hot second yep I need to talk about two up um so I I just the biggest thing I like to look at with quarterbacks is I want to see how well they did on third down um, cause I think that's a, obviously a very pivotal down in football, um, at third and 10 plus Tua has a completion percentage of 92.3, um, on third and medium definitely slipped there only about a 62% completion percentage on third and medium on third and short. He had an 82% completion percentage. Um, so obviously he's getting it done and, Nick is hyped right now, but, um, and then I'm, I'm also going to give you some stats that go into Memphis's favor here. Cause I think, um, we have to show all sides of this. Um, so if we're looking at just Tua in the red zone this year, his completion, his overall completion percentage dipped down to 68%. Um, obviously still through 11 touchdowns and two picks, but I'm just a little more worried about, um, that red zone completion percentage. Um, just being down at 68%. Obviously, the window's getting much smaller in the red zone. Um, but I at least want to uh, use the stats and give you the whole picture. The, the thing I like, let me let me add this too there. With other quarterbacks, and you had said third down and 10 plus, two is going to throw beyond the sticks. I respect him so much as a quarterback because he doesn't do the whole check down thing and hope the guy runs for eight yards he is always going to take that shot and take that chance. Think about LSU, okay? They got down by two scores. What did he do? The next throw went deep to Devontae Smith, and they got this huge like 80-yard touchdown down the sideline. He wants to win and gives you a shot. That's why I kind of comp him to like a Brett Favre type mentality where he's going to gunsling it, and he's going to give his opportunities to his receivers and players. And I, I guess I just really respect him in that realm too. That's besides the number. There was a, a piece of news that came out today from a pretty reputable source. Michael Lombardi, for those of you that don't know Michael Lombardi, he used to be an NFL executive. He may have been a GM, definitely linked to Bill Belichick. And today he reported or said on Twitter or on a radio show or of some sort that Tua has failed at least two teams' physicals. Now, me personally, I said this before we hit the record button, if those two teams are the Chiefs and the Ravens, I really don't give a rat's ass. Now, if those two teams are the Dolphins and the Chargers, now we've got a real story. I'll start with our guest. Angelo, what what did you glean from this information with Lombardi saying that he's failed at least two team physicals? Uh, Actually, a little surprised. Um, By all reports of what we've been seeing prior to this information, Tua's been doing really well, and he's been trending up where we've seen videos of him um, doing some brief workouts, throwing, um, nothing super um, strenuous. But I'm kind of shocked that he, he's, he's kind of failed medically so far. Um, obviously, we don't know if these reports are true. 
And um, we'll probably f- obviously find out more the closer we, we get to the NFL draft. But I don't think it will, I guess, hinder a team's outlook on him because I don't think teams are going to anticipate him being ready for week one of 2020. Um, I think a team has more of a long-term mindset when drafting him, either let him sit, sit for a year. And I've said for, for a long time, the Chargers are probably the best spot for him, in my opinion. Um, you have a good bridge quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. Um, they have a good offense. You know, they, they have good weapons in the outside and in Williams, Allen, Henry, Eckler. So for him to kind of be able to grow there and um, in that offense would be great. But I don't think a team really has in mind that this is going to be their day one starter of 2020. I think we're underestimating how long it's going to take Tua to reacclimate into football mode because he's, he's had a major procedure done. And I think from like a movement quality standpoint, I think he's going to have to relearn a lot of things. Everything's going to be a little newer to him than it used to be. So I think it's going to take him take some time to kind of knock the rust off. I don't think there, any team's going to rush him into starting, but I think it's important to know that he isn't potentially medically right at this point, and I'm not surprised. I remember when the news broke, people were talking about his career potentially being over. And that's how that's like the injury he had as a, as a career threatening injury. So it's not to be taken lightly. It's, you know, it's not like a torn meniscus or a torn ACL where, you know, your return to play is, you know, anywhere from seven to 12 months and you're, you're fine. But this has a lot longer timetable and a, a lot more uncertainty surrounding the nature of the injury and the extent. So I think I'm not shocked, but I'm a little concerned. Um, not for his long-term outlook, but he might slide a little bit in the draft. Um, but I think a team who drafts him will, will draft him for his long-term potential um, and not the short-term upside. Let's talk Joe Burrow. Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow, my, my question on him is, is kind of a multi- faceted one is Joe Burrow talented enough to overcome what I consider the dysfunction of the Cincinnati Bengals um, when a guy like Carson Palmer really couldn't and would Joe Burrow be your QB one in a super flex draft uh, going into 2020 um, you know as, as far as the, dis- the dysfunction part goes I think he is talented enough number one I think Cincinnati's going to have stuff in around him number two and I think the offense that they're going to be running, number three, all sort of works in his favor. I mean, when you watch Joe Burrow, when you study him on film, you see a quarterback that checks so many of the different boxes we look for, you know, when it comes to, you know, the playing the position, the things that matter, the accuracy, the pocket movement, the athleticism, the competitive toughness, the toughness in the pocket, the ability to extend and create outside of the pocket, but the ability to stay and fight in the pocket when the pocket breaks down and not rely on his legs and his athleticism. And I think if you see the change in Burrow from where he was, you know, two years ago to where he was last year, you know, you will see somebody that's really sort of put it together at the quarterback position. And people might wonder, well, was, was some of it due to the offense? Was some of it due to Joe Brady? Was some of it due to the fact that you've got, you know, you've got Chase to throw to and you've got Jefferson to throw to. You've got NFL talent all around you. And that's certainly a fair thing to bring up. But you also have to remember that in LSU's offense, they were running 
I think it was 83% of their passing plays were a five-man protection scheme, which means if there's a sixth rusher, it's on Burrow to figure it out, which puts a lot on the quarterback from both a process and speed standpoint and an athleticism standpoint and a play speed standpoint. And so when he gets to Cincinnati, and you might have a situation where they've got some weapons if Green comes back, you know, with John Ross, with, you know, obviously Joe Mixon, what he can do. You know, they're going to need to fix the offensive line. You know, I, I know they're getting, for example, they're, they're getting, you know, the guy that drafted the right tackle they drafted last year. They're getting some guys back. But he might have to create. He might have to account for unblocked defenders. And I think he sort of has that ability. You know, if I'm in, you know, if I'm in Super X League, yeah, you know, he's my first pick. You know, because I think he's going to produce early and he's going to start on week one and you know that they're going to throw the ball and they might be in some situations where they're behind. So they're going to be throwing it more. And so certainly. And is he my top quarterback in this 2020 draft class? Absolutely. Like, I don't think there's a, a question beyond that. Well, I, I, I like the certainty in, in which you say it. The, the comps that I've heard for Joe Burrow. If you're looking for an elite comp, it would be Joe Montana. If you're looking for, I don't say average, but maybe a slightly above average comp, it would be Tony Romo. And the floor for Joe Burrow would be Nick Foles. How do you take those comps and and can you see those uh, through your lens? I certainly do. I mean, I think I almost want to say a floor for Burrow might be, you know, Foles is good. I mean, you could also say, you know, maybe in a sense, uh, an Alex Smith type, uh, like a guy that, you know, because of there might be some limits with the upper arm strength, um, you know, so maybe he becomes more of a facilitator in the NFL than anything else, more of a, a point guard type quarterback. I, I think Romo is one that's pretty dead on. You know, part of the reason that I often shy away from doing comps in a sense is that, you know, with the stuff I do with the Patriots, I, I watch so much Tom Brady, you know, and I started before I was doing this professionally, it's just, you know, a quarterback myself back in the day of a pretty horrible one at that. And then a Patriots fan. And so I've seen, you know, all of Tom Brady's entire career. And so it's hard not to view players through a Tom Brady tinted lens. But when I watch Joe Burrow, not to say that he's comp to Tom Brady or that, that could be where he ends up. I do see some of Brady. You know, I see the footwork in the pocket, the attention to detail, the ability to do the little things. I've said before that he has sort of mastered the minutia of playing the position. And while we all get excited about some of the other things that he does from an athletic standpoint, from a you know competitive toughness standpoint, from a creating outside the pocket standpoint, some of the little things like the shoulder, shoulder pumps or looking defenders off or moving defenders with his eyes, it's Brady-esque in a sense. And so there's certainly potential for him to far surpass, you know, any sort of comp we might make for him. And so, look, I, I think he's a very clean prospect that checks almost every single box. Now, might there be situations where, you know, let's say something crazy happens and, you know, he, he doesn't get drafted by Cincinnati. Might there be some offenses that he might not be best suited for? Yeah, I don't think, for example, Tampa Bay would be the best fit for him. But I think with what we expect to see happen with Cincinnati drafting him, you know, first overall, I think that's an ideal situation, and I'm pretty excited about what's going to happen over the next couple of years for him. Well, I, I do, I do like that, and I do like the fact that he's a tad older um, for yeah. a, a prospect at this point in his journey, and that he played basketball. Now, I I know that the 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 thought of a basketball player playing quarterback, or why does that matter? But I think there's like a, a sense that certain players get from court vision. And, and yep. seeing that, do, do you think that having a basketball 
background at a, at a pretty decent level. I think he was a state champion, if I remember correctly, yep. in the sport of basketball. What, what what kind of skills does that translate for him, in your opinion? Well, it's vision, it's process and speed, and it's anticipation, right? Like if you think about you know someone that's playing basketball at a high level, it's the the court vision, you know, the ability to see things you know, on the other side of the court, the ability to, you know, if you've got the ball on the high post to see what's happening down in the low post, it's that sort of process speed because things will happen quickly and you've got to make snap decisions. And it's that sort of anticipation throwing, you know, backdoor cuts and things like that. You know, those are the things that matter on the court. Those are the things that will translate to the football field, particularly at the quarterback position. And then there's the footwork aspect to it. And one of my favorite things about Burrow, the quarterback is his footwork. If, if you watch him, handle a pocket, whether it's, you know, when, when the pocket breaks down or sometimes it's just a simple RPO design where he has to carry out that mesh fake maybe to his left and then quickly come back and throw something to his right. Watch how quickly his feet stay under him. Watch how his feet always keep him in position to make throws. And if you want to see why it matters, watch some of that from Joe Burrow and then maybe watch a guy like Anthony Gordon who is a late round guy that I'm excited about, but the footwork, the difference between the two could not be more of a starker contrast. And so the basketball stuff has gotten him ready from a footwork perspective, from a speed process and speed, from a, an anticipation perspective, from a vision perspective to play quarterback in the NFL. So the first quarterback I wanted to talk about is Jalen Hurts. He, he seems to be a very polarizing figure uh, on Twitter as it relates to Dynasty. Uh, so I want to ask you, do you think he has a, a pro's throwing skill set? Because what I see personally, I see an athlete making things happen. He looked more accurate at the combine, but it's different when you're in shorts and a, and a t-shirt versus when you're facing defenders. So what can you give us, the, the listener, on Jalen Hurts? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked me about him because he's he's probably one of the more fun players to evaluate this year in terms of rookies, um, even though you know he may not be a marquee player because I do think that he has a future in the NFL, but it's going to take some time for him to work it out a little bit. Um, you know, the accuracy that you that you asked about is probably due to when you watch him on film and he has to move around in the pocket or he's authoring different drops that aren't so scripted as a pro day would show. You're going to see him in situations where that back foot isn't really steady in the way that it should be. And when you're throwing uh, a football, the midline of your back foot is really kind of the rudder for the accuracy of your throws. And think of it kind of like a rudder for a boat, you know, and and where you have that pointed is basically helps you determine where the ball, where, you know, where the um, boat's going to go. Well, with your back foot where that's pointed depends where the ball's going to go. And he's not always steady in that regard. So his accuracy can be a little off due to that so he's gonna have to firm that up and that may take a little bit of time and effort for him to really work on those drops and make sure that his feet are steady in a variety of situations and it doesn't um cause a problem to where you know when when he's in the thick of a play that he has lapses um so that technique's going to really have to be ingrained he also you know people harp on his release motion because it's kind of elongated but from what i'm seeing and from when i talk to a lot of quarterback coaches who i trust really the issue is is that if a quarterback can um, deliver the ball productively on a scalable level repeatedly without getting hurt um, with their motion and it's quick enough and it's not an issue it's not going to be an issue and I don't see an issue with it hurts his throwing motion even if it doesn't fit 
you know, really the aesthetics of what a lot of people do when they, when they um, evaluate quarterbacks online. Um, but when it comes to his game, I, I think that, yeah, he's a playmaker tries to make things happen. And there are times that he'll get too invested in plays. And as a result of that, you're going to see him try too hard to keep a play alive and throw the ball in the coverage that really he should have just thrown the ball away. Um, but he has a very strong deep arm. I think he has good base level accuracy. That's going to get better. And the decision-making actually gets better in pivotal situations where he knows he can't take the kind of risks that um, that he may in earlier parts of games. So I think it's a matter of just, for him, it's going to be a matter of maturing you know, and really shoring up the technical issues of his game. And if he can do that, I wouldn't be surprised if he challenges for a starting role in a couple of years, two to three years with a team. I think of a guy like David Garrard, who was a player with the Jaguars. He's been my comp for him. Um, a player that, you know, had a pro bowl season, took over for Byron Leftwich, had a, was able to lead the team to the playoffs once didn't have a sustained career as a starter, but um, someone that, you know, with a good team around him can help them contend. And I think he has that as honestly kind of his midpoint upside. I think his, his his high end upside would be somewhere between Garrard and Donovan McNabb in terms of style of play. I don't think he's going to hit that. That's going to have to be everything perfect for. He's going to have to develop on a level that's faster than people expect or that I would expect him to be able to do. But this is a smart football player who just can get a little too invested in his athletic ability. Has some technical flaws, but remember, I mean, this is a guy that at Georgia uh, against Georgia. He, you know, he got benched in the middle of a national championship game and he didn't let that get him down. He didn't let him get him down that he, that he basically didn't win the national championship for that, for Alabama. And he stayed an entire year afterwards and he goes to Oklahoma and he, he plays like he plays terrific. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, this is a, a resilient young man who, who's positive, who has, I think you look at those types of skills and you, and you realize that this is someone who understands that, you know, he's a competitor and he's going to keep working and he has confidence in himself. And that's a very important trait for college players transition to the NFL because quarterbacks can lose confidence very quick. It's a very performance-oriented profession. And when you lose confidence early, you can be a superstar in a lot of areas and your game can go into a complete shell and you never come out. It's definitely Eason. I think, it, you know, he was the big five-star quarterback coming into Georgia his freshman year. He was the can't-miss prospect, the the big arm type player. Uh, the issues he has, which are issues, is the movement in the pocket. He he can be a statue at times, and there's there's a play where he he likes to roll out to his right but he does a weird like spin and it, and it's almost like mentally like I could spin to my left and then go right or I could just move right. Like he, he does wasted movement, which can be fixed. I I feel like all these big arm quarterbacks have issues like all the, all the safe, like, Oh, he's got really good short accuracy and all this. They, they don't have the issues, but the big arm ones do, but they have a huge upside. Look at Drew Locke, big arm. I love Drew Locke last year. I think he's my quarterback too. Drew Locke was 
an insane talent. I mean, we all saw it. He had, he had the big arm. I thought he had good accuracy. Other people didn't. People had issues with his feet. I mean, Matt Safford has issue with his feet placement back when he was a, a rookie. Things can be fixed in that aspect, but the arm talent is something that doesn't come. Like, Teddy Bridgewater isn't going to have a Mahomes cannon ever in his life. And it's because it's something that people have that they're born with. It's something that you can't all of a sudden be like, I'm going to work on having a strong arm and gain 20 yards throwing distance by next season. Like, the only player I've ever seen do that was Andy Dalton. I think he gained like 10 yards added to his deep ball, but it was it went from like 40 to 50 yard deep ball. So it wasn't anything that hoot and holler about. Jacob Eason has probably the strongest arm in this class. He has the more tools as a quarterback in this class. I think I know people say Jordan love, but I think it's Eason. The only issue is, is he's got the Ben Roth, Ben Roethlisberger type build. He's bigger, longer. And there's times when, yes, he can, he stands in the pocket and he, he's almost like a statue. I think he can work on that. We'll see in the combine. Josh Allen had issues with that. Allen, I think, was more mobile, so I'm not comparing him to that. But I I like Eason a lot, and he went through adversity. He he got outplayed at Georgia, and I get when he went to Washington, there was talks that he wasn't even going to start, but when he came in, he was tearing it up. He was, I think his first game, he had three touchdowns and 300 plus yards, and this is with Washington. They have some weapons, but not much. They have the running back Ahmed, but yeah, Washington, Washington wasn't a, a high profile place. He went from Georgia to Washington and he had to sit out a year of football. I, I don't think that can go lightly. So he sat out a whole entire year, the year before last, just because of the transfer and then came in as a starter. And I think he played well and he, I think he grew, but I like Eason a lot. So I, I'm a staunch Taylor guy right here. So uh, Jonathan Taylor is my number one running back. And, you know, to me, it, 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 it is that he, I think he is the safest player. Like I love all three. Uh, there, there are leagues where I'm going to draft all three uh, as with, with rookie picks. And to me, Taylor has been insanely productive for two years, you know, his, his whole career, just about at Wisconsin. He has, been on a team that doesn't throw the ball super well. You know he's running. He's had a good offensive line, but that type of production is rare. And a, a lot of the advanced analytics that when you have that type of production, you have two seasons over 2,000 yards, you're going to be a successful running back in the NFL. I think the workload stuff is, is a little bit overblown. I'm not drafting a running back in Dynasty to be my starter for 10 years doesn't happen it never happens you know unless you're adrian peterson it's just not going to happen so uh, i'm happy if i get five really good years out of jonathan taylor and i think that's almost guaranteed i I think dobbins is really good i think he's probably the other you know safer pick and i have swift swift's my number two because i think the upside's there but uh the other thing with taylor as well is he's fast and i I don't think anyone gives him credit for it he was he was a, a track star in high school he's if if he prepares well for the combine i expect him to be among the top five fastest running backs in this class or close to it you know depending on how some of the the 
lower rated guys do. Um, so, you know, I think he can be in the four threes or he can be at a four, four flat. And I, I think, I think people are going to switch real hard when, when the combine happens to him, it, it's possible he'd like Dalvin cooks it. And it's almost better for me because I'll be buying him at a, a cheaper price. I, I like it. Now, would you say all three of these guys are close enough that if one lands in a really good landing spot, like I think we all agree that Kansas City would be a fantastic landing spot, Tampa Bay, another fantastic landing spot, would would that be enough to bump one ahead of the other if they landed in more of a, a murky or an uglier type landing spot? Like I'll just throw out there with the New York Jets behind Le'Veon Bell in that big contract. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I don't think you can, and, and I always hate this, you know, people, people kind of have their guy and I, I, you know, I do it too. Like I, things I hate, I always do too, but you know, that you kind of have your guy and like, this is going to be my guy no matter what. And talent will win out if you're really good, but especially for a running back, I mean, situation is everything. If, if Taylor ends up in New York and Dobbins gets drafted by, you know, the Buccaneers, absolutely. I'm making that switch and, and I'll take Dobbins ahead of him, you know? So you, look, you have to make play, put that into account. I think as well, draft capital, uh, as you talked about with the quarterbacks, it's not as big of a deal with running backs for sure. But you know, if, if DeAndre Swift goes in the fifth round for God knows whatever reason, you have to look at that. You, you can't say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm drafting this guy at the, at the one oh one If, if for some reason six running backs go before him and we were like, what the hell are teams thinking? It's definitely happened before, right? We see it every year with someone. So I, I think that's the other thing too. If one of these guys drops really far and, you know, and, and we're kind of surprised, I think you have to evaluate that and say, not necessarily knock them down, you know, two rounds in, in your, your rookie draft, but I think you have to look at that and say, mm, maybe maybe there's an adjustment here. Maybe there's a player I'll move ahead of them. And you, you can trust your evaluation to an extent, but at the same time, the NFL teams don't care about your evaluation. You know, if the guy never gets a chance to be a starter, he's, he's never going to be productive for you in fantasy. Jonathan Taylor. Now, he was always in the top three, I think, for most analysts. And whether you're an analytics person or a film person or, or whatever you are as a listener, uh, he was always in the top three. But after that 4-3-9 at the combine in the 40-yard dash, Jonathan Taylor has become basically the lock to go 101. And while I agree that Jonathan Taylor is an, a very good prospect, it's as if that 4.3 made people forget about the fumbling issues that he had in college. He's not the best pass blocker in the world. And, you know, uh, his route running isn't horrible. Uh, I think that we've we've seen the knock on guys like Leonard Fournette in the past that, quote-unquote, they can't catch the ball. And then Leonard Fournette comes out this year and gets over 100 targets in the passing game. W- what do you make of Jonathan Taylor as a total prospect? Is, is he worthy of the 101? Is he firmly in the top three? Do you have issues? I mean, I think, you know, he's a guy that's more, I don't know, especially when it comes to thinking about running backs, you know, because in today's National Football League, running backs, they are being devalued, number one. Number two, the landed spot is going to be critical for him. You know, is he going to go into a situation, he's going to be on a roster where they're going to expect him to be an every down back? Or do, will they have already somebody in place that they have, 
you know, visions of being that third down type guy that's going to see more activity in the passing game. And so that might sort of decrease his value. And, and so that sort of moves him down in a, a value an evaluation perspective from where I sit. You know, what's been interesting about watching Jonathan Taylor and seeing how people have sort of gotten excited and energized about him after the combine because of the 4-3-9, I don't know why that moved people so much, moved people so, the way that it did. Because this is somebody that had a, a sprinter's background. You know, he was an all-state sprinter in high school in New Jersey. You know, he had speed to him. And maybe whether it was watching you know, games at the Big Ten or what it was, people started to assume that maybe he wasn't that fast. And so now they've sort of recalibrated their thinking on him. But he's always had that background to him. So, you know, his his burst wasn't something I was really generally concerned about. I think I'm more concerned about, is he going to be something that an NFL team is going to look at on day one and say, yeah, you're our, you're our every down back, like a Saquon Barkley? Or is he somebody that's going to be like a Leonard Fournette that's more of a first and second down back that on third and seven is coming off the field? Because like you said, you know, not the world's best route runner. They tried to get in Wisconsin, did involved in the pass game more last year, probably to help his draft stock. You know, he's not somebody that is a great pass protector. And so it's going to potentially lead to a situation where on third and seven, on downs that count, particularly for fantasy players, he's on the sidelines. And so I think that sort of dings his value in my mind. No, I, I agree with that sentiment as well. Like I said, I, he was always in my top three. He was never not. AJ Dillon tested in the visual test that I won't touch him. I I thought his pass protection was god awful for how big he was. Like he would like to throw his body out there, but man, it, people just go run around him. Like he wasn't fast on the pass pro, which is gonna struggle. Like you t- you said TJ Duckett, that is almost a spot on because I I'm an Atlanta fan and I watched TJ Duckett with work done for years, and the second. Work done came out and you saw TJ Duggy like, oh damn it. What the <laughs> it was a mess. Like, just just a, a full... big old dude act like he was gonna start the truck every time he scored a touchdown. Oh yeah, I remember TJ yes. Duggett. Yes, like, he when he when you had the ball at the five, it was fun to watch. Like, all right, okay, now you can put in Duckett. Take Dunn out, put Duckett, Duckett out. But man, it. Uh, yeah, that's that's almost a perfect comp. I know TJ Duckett was probably what I think is a second round pick. He was a pretty high pick, but back then it was a little different. Uh, AJ Dillon, he's got he's got great straight line speed, but he's got to be in the straight line for about twenty yards till he picks up steam. So yeah, I I just did not like what I saw out of him. Two guys that I am not super high on. Maybe you can, uh, maybe you can give us some some reasons to like them more. Uh, I'll start with Zach Moss and AJ Dillon. Uh, AJ Dillon was just kind of an afterthought as this class was getting going, and then he had a really, a, I guess I would say really good, but a better than expected combine. He looked better. He ran better. He performed better in that spot. I just still see, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen, I see kind of a poor man's Derrick Henry, meaning like a, like a two-down back. Uh, I, I could be wrong there. And then uh, Zach Moss, uh, not watched a ton of him. I know Jerry's a fan. So uh, what do you have on those two? Yeah, I mean, I like both those backs. I think Dylan, for me, I have him in my top five. And and I like Dylan, because, and it's been kind of a – 
two-year thing about him that I've liked. You know, one thing that I see that's a criticism about him a lot is that he's, um, you know, he's got a lot of tread on his tire because he's just, he's touched the ball. He's attempted the ball, you know, runs 866 attempts, I think, in his career. So people get all freaked out about that. But the wonderful thing about football is, is you don't get hurt. You don't have chronic injuries and you carry the ball a crap ton like A.J. Dillon. Um, usually that spells you're going to get a lot of carries in the NFL and you're going to be okay. You know, guys who were, uh, I've done the studies with it for 15 years. I've looked at backs and I show it in the RSP this year, just kind of show you all the backs that, that who either led the NCAA one year during their career in att- in, in rushing attempts for at least a year or guys who had a certain number of career carries and the list of guys you know, who had at least 900 yards and like seven touchdowns or guys who made the pro bowl, you know, off of their production ranging from Ray Rice to Steven Jackson to um, Matt Forte to, um, you know, Michael, the burner Turner, Adrian Peterson, you know, the list goes on. And even guys who really didn't do much in the NFL because they just didn't have that level of talent, but they had long careers. And when they got into the game, they produced guys like Bobby Rainey, Bobby Rainey had a huge workload, and he was a little guy, you, you know. Was that who, was, was he Tampa Bay Bobby Rainey? Yeah, okay, yeah. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, New York Giants, um, Baltimore Ravens. He had an eleven or twelve year career, you know. So, you know, when you look at guys like that, AJ Dillon, you know, he fits in that mold, and so yeah, he's not going to make, he's not going to be Alvin Kamara where you're going to feature him up the seam against a linebacker or a safety, but can you? Can you throw the wide route to him and he's going to catch it? Yeah. Can you throw the screen passes? Sure. Can you can you have him maybe work on a Texas route, maybe outside in? I think he could probably do a little bit of that too, flat routes. And what you're going to get out of him is a tackle breaker who has really good burst and explosion for his size. He looks like he's gliding, and I think it makes him look kind of like a plotter. But he's very nimble. He's someone that, you know, when he gets to that second level – he doesn't just have a spin move, you know, he can dip and work away. So I'm a fan of his, my, my buddy, Jay Moyer, who writes for me at the RSP um, site, you know, he and I probably disagree on Zach Moss a little bit. And I think a lot of my, my colleagues who I, I um, respect probably do as well. Um, They probably aren't as enamored with his burst and they feel like that he's not quick enough to be an every down back that he's just kind of a little bit too plotting. And I, you know, when I, I have a different window of times, the way that I look at players, like, you know, for me, when I look at 20 shuttle time, if a guy is somewhere between four, three and four, four, that starter caliber burst to me, some player, you know, and a lot of people look at that four, three, seven starter, you know, 20 shuttle. And they say that's reserve level. And I, I disagree with that. I, and from what I see on tape, he's able to beat linebackers to the corner. He's able to beat some safeties on certain runs in terms of his acceleration into the, to the next level, not talking about beating safeties long downfield, but I like his movement. I like his flexibility. Um, there are some plays that you can probably call into question about his decision-making, but you, you know, I talked my, with my buddy Jay and, you know, one thing that Jay has done, he does some terrific videos on video, YouTube that I'd recommend, but he's not much of a guy who projects talent. His, his, 
He's more of a, this is what I see here and now. This could be a problem. Where as opposed to being a, as opposed to being like, this is how I project the talent, where I think the player can be. And just from my experience, and you know, it's the hardest part about doing this is projecting where they could go and what they could do as opposed to what they are. What they are right now, he misses some blocks that he shouldn't or takes some chances outside that he shouldn't. But from what I've seen, they're not plays that are so chronic with every, you know, every blocking scheme that where, you know, where it's happened on one play, it hasn't happened on another that's of a similar type of play call. So what that tells me is that sometimes he he tries to make take a risk that he shouldn't. And those are things that are, you know, things that you can fix with maturity and, and just kind of work and study. Um, and I think that he has that in him. So I don't know if he's ever going to be, you know, a a Pro Bowl caliber back, but I think that he can be a lead back in a committee. I and he's such a good pass protector and a solid receiver that I actually think he can be a starter um, in this league and be a pretty darn good one. You know, 1,300, 1,300-yard back. Maybe he won't give you – maybe he's not going to give you 500 yards receiving, but I think he can give you two or 300 yards and give you double-digit touchdowns in a good system. Nick, tell us about Eno Benjamin. <laughs> So in this in the same realm of a player that caught a lot of passes, I I just am not a fan of Eno Benjamin. I I wanted to like him this last off season, and I think I ranked him higher than I liked. And then I kept watching more film, and I drafted him on one Debbie team, and ended up just trading him away. He just doesn't go anywhere. He is a pass catching version, and obviously smaller. Of David Montgomery, and we know yeah, how I, I feel was, about I, him. I was just gonna say it, that he sort of reminds me of David Montgomery. He's like it's like he's playing the game Frogger, right? But the purpose is to gain yards, but you constantly go left and right to get forward one and then go left and right, and you don't end up gaining yards. And this season wasn't kind to Eno Benjamin either. He hasn't figured it out that you have to go forward at some point. You can't make everybody miss. And you know what? In my opinion, he's a minus athlete. When you want to look at the average starting running back in the NFL, he's not more athletic than they are, and that's going to catch up with him. Just like a cut up with David Montgomery, all of these defensive linemen, if you make one miss, the next one's going to get pursuit and get in the way if you don't hurry up. And, you know, Benjamin isn't going to get there. And in my opinion, with the pass catching, which I like, which we talked about already, I still don't see him being a huge fantasy producer when in you like when you want to combine like the hype of like what people think he is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to do the stats based version of what Nick was saying. Um, so 53% of his touches were either three yards or less. 53% of his touches were three yards or less. And the PAC 12 does not play that great. a defense. Oh, and exactly. they also played Michigan state who was poop. Great. Yeah. Sky Yuma, baby. Um, so, yeah, so if we're looking at Eno, Eno Benjamin, obviously he dances behind the line a little bit too much. Another issue that we're seeing is that he had just one fumble in in total in 2017 and 2018, and then went up to six in 2019. Um, so that, that issue's coming up a little bit. I know you can say, well, Miles Sanders fixed it when he went into the NFL, but that's still something that we have to point out because that's going to be a drawback for some NFL teams. I know people don't like this stat, Kane, and I because I know so many things go into it. 
But there, there are some thresholds for me, okay? Eno Benjamin gained 4.3 yards per carry in college. Oh my gosh, is that bad? 4.3. 4.3 might sound good on the NFL. In college, in the Pac-12, if you're not gaining six yards per carry, I don't want you on my fantasy team. 4.3 is bad. I love JJ Taylor. He's going to be a late round pick for me, a free agent pickup anywhere I can. The dude is 5'7. Like he is tiny. Like he, 5'6, 5'7. Five, five, He's about 195 pounds, 200 pounds. But man, you watch his tape. It was probably the most fun I had watching tape on running backs just because, like, he has this. I, you, we all saw Byron Scott this year at the end of the year, like that. I am small, but man, I'm going to give you every little inch I have. Like he's going to try to run you over, and 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 he can. Like it, it's been insane. He, he's very elusive, and I love him. And Matt Miller from Bleacher Report even said if if JJ Taylor was five eleven, two hundred ten pounds, he would be talked about in the second round but he's so small that he's not. So uh, look for this guy to get drafted in uh, hopefully the fourth round as a treat Cohen esque type player, somebody who can go catch the pass. But I loved everything I saw out of JJ Taylor. He's a guy I'm going to take late and hopefully the, the NFL sees it like I did. And then Anthony McFarlane uh, out of Maryland, uh, Love him. Love oh, well, well, the, 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 well, there you go. So we we have a good consensus feel on Keyshawn Vaughn. Give us a couple of minutes on uh, McFarlane. Just one word watching this tape. Bursty. Like, his burst score on our algorithm is insane. It's he's He has the best burst out of this class, I think, next to Swift. Like, him and Swift are neck and neck for me for just gets the ball and he is out of there. Like, just the top end, like, going from zero to 60 – like a freaking Tesla is what I would <laughs> I would probably say. I, I think he's got good burst. There it like probably my main worry is I don't want him running the ball on first and goal. That would probably be my biggest thing. So so the touchdown upside might not be there. But man, he is twitchy, he is bursty, he can catch the ball at the backfield. His 2018 film is better than 2019. He had some injuries in 19. This 2018 film. I mean, even Travis May was saying this guy is going to be a dark horse. I love Anthony McFarland. I think he's going to be a steal in the draft. He could be a late second. And I mean, Alexander Madison landed a bad spot. He wasn't end of the second type running back in in rookie drafts. And he looks like a fantastic player, but he's just stuck behind Cook. If McFarland gets, you know, if he's in one of those committees where He's behind some people, but they're kind of like the Singletary type thing. Like if he gets his chance, McFarlane's going to be a good player. He just needs to land in that right spot. And he's another guy that, you know, one thing that he, he may be someone that you're able to pick up in a, in a mid season trade because his, 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 his best attributes are his elusiveness and his burst. And his worst attribute is pass protection. Well, as we've always said, that if you're not a good pass blocker, especially at the NFL level, then you're more than likely not going to see the field a ton as a rookie. I mean, look no further than Darwin Thompson. I don't think he was a very good pass blocker. 
you know, he he saw some snaps. I mean, he saw some. He saw he's a good, play. he's a good player. Yeah, and and he, and he yeah. saw more Super Bowl snaps than Lashawn McCoy. And I, I think that this is the kind of guy that McFarland that you'll see a lot of uh, training camp buzz, and he'll pick up steam uh, in redraft probably because people will see him actually on their TVs making plays against third stringers that'll be driving dump trucks and you know walking dogs later this fall, but. That won't stop people from drafting him. Then he'll disappoint a little bit. Then you can snap in and, and, and buy him up cheap. And that that's someone that, that I like. With one last running back. And this is a guy that, again, this is regionality coming in. I don't know if that's even a word. But, you know, he's, he plays in the area in which I live. And that is Cincinnati's Michael Warren II. Sounds very, very dignified. But th- this is a big dude. He's five foot eleven. He's two hundred and twenty-two pounds. Uh, in your rookie draft perspective, from what I've looked at and some of the mocks that I've read, I mean, you could get this guy potentially as an undrafted free agent. Now we know it's going to come down to his combine metrics. It's going to come down to his draft and, and where he's drafted if he's drafted. Because uh, there are a ton of really special running backs in, in this year's class. But if this guy's this guy lands a job, to check him out. He's He's got that ground and pound to him, but he, he's got two years as a starter here in, in Cincinnati. He played uh, 12 games last year and 13 games this year. Uh, in 26 games as, as the starter, he had 505 carries. He averaged 5.2 yards per carry or better than Eno Benjamin, as I learned tonight. He had 26 total, uh, 2,600 total yards rushing those two years. And, and here's the number that really stuck out to me. It was like, okay, that's not too bad. That's for a guy who's 5'11", 226, excuse me, 222, who was listed as a, you know, a, pound, a ground and pound guy, to have 46 receptions uh, was, was what raised the eyebrow. You know, is, is he a, uh, an elite route runner? No, he's never going to be confused for like a Christian McCaffrey. But you know what? A big guy with a good reception history. Why not? I mean, he had 34 total rushing touchdowns and two receiving touchdowns over the last two years. So uh, just an interesting guy. I think you'll be able to get him cheap. Maybe he's Bruce Anderson. Maybe he's someone of value. You never really know because we've learned with running backs in, in Dynasty is if you get the slightest sliver of hope, that, that light at the end of the tunnel – you could make a profit on this guy. So so those are the reasons why I like him. Watched a little bit of tape on him. He's not I, I don't think he's going to be a special athlete at the combine, but I was uh, I was fairly intrigued. I'm Tell me the one guy. Now, it, it, this could be very easy for you with all those picks that you have. But but tell me the one guy that you will not be leaving rookie drafts without. Maybe that guy that's not a first-rounder. Uh, maybe a guy that's like a late first-rounder, early to mid-second, that, that you're a big fan of, that you may reach and take a half-round early. Uh, it, it is an easy one for me. It's a player I've been watching since since they were a freshman. And, I, look, I, I don't think they're going to go super high in the NFL draft. I think I'm going to get them in the third round of rookie drafts. That's James Robinson, running back from Illinois State. Who should have been at the Senior Bowl? I I am upset. Like I'm going to write a letter uh, to the Senior Bowl. He should have been there over yeah, some some of the, the freaking running backs over there. But uh, he's one of the best small school running backs I've seen. Probably the best one I've seen since since David Johnson. 
And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see at the combine how he does. Uh, you know, he's not a burner, but he kind of has that all-around talent that David Johnson had. He catch the football. He, you know, dominated for four years, uh, you know, at a small school and a, a school that plays good competition. I mean, he's, he's really shifty, great field vision. You know, he's a player that I think is going to rise up, up, up. So, you know, I, I, I kind of hope he goes to a, a bad situation or people don't talk about him. I can just snatch him up at the end of drafts and stash him on a taxi because I think this is going to be that small school player that a uh, running back that ends up being, being a star in the NFL. Well, I, I'm about 90% sure you brought this name up last year when when, yes. when you were on. This is a guy that you've been very high on because I have that name in my notes. Remember, I just don't call him Ryder Downers. I actually <laughs> use the Ryder Downer, and I, re- I remember that name coming from you. So about one running back a year the last four years. Now I'm not counting 2019 because it was it was not good. But in 2018, Rashad Penny had a, you know, he was a Senior Bowl running back participant. In 2017, it was Kareem Hunt. Uh, 2016, it was Kenyon Drake, and then in 2015, it was David Johnson. So out of these three guys, which one of those, which one of these three guys is most likely? to have a fantasy-relevant career for both Dynasty or maybe even Redraft. Now, obviously, Kareem Hunt was an RB1 before he went all Antonio Brown on us and went nuts. And we'll see what happens with his offseason as a restricted free agent. But of these three guys, Josh Kelly, LaMichael Pirine, and Keyshawn Vaughn, which one of these guys is most likely to have that surprising career arc of, say, a David Johnson or or a Kareem Hunt? To, to me, that's a really easy question. I think that Keyshawn Vaughn is heads and tails um, better than those guys. He, I have him as my RB6. And I know that, you know, Joshua Kelly and P. Ryan had some nice moments at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, they're not bad players, but this is a tough class, I think, to move up. I, I think Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, watching him as a junior, you know, I feel like you saw this guy as, have that toughness, be able to lower his body, get through the hole great field vision. And then, you know, as a senior, he, he didn't quite have the publicity. I mean, uh, Vanderbilt wasn't as good, but he was still, he's still doing work. He's still carrying that offense in a lot of these situations. You know, this is a passing game for Vanderbilt that took a step back and Keyshawn Vaughn is kind of on his shoulders and he, you know, he, Go watch the game against LSU, right? One of the best defenses in the country. And Keyshawn Vaughn tears them apart. He finds the small holes. He abuses those small holes. LSU defenders, guys that are going to go in the first round or this year or next year, had trouble tackling him. Uh, were scared of him, that he was just going to run him over. And when you're playing against NFL-type players, you know, and I, I saw that when I saw that game, I said, this guy's legitimate. He's going to have a role in the NFL. I don't know if he's going to be a three down back, you know, or anything like that. But to, to me, you know, I think he's going to do it. I think he's a better pass catcher than a lot of people give him credit for. He had 28 catches this year uh, on a team that couldn't pass the ball worth a lick most games, you know, and he had his games where he struggled at uh, the Florida game. He, there, were, there were no holes and there's nothing he could do. Um, and it was one of those games that you never want to just, just throw away. But at the same time, um, I, I feel like he didn't get much help at all. Uh, so I, I'm really ha- I think Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be a starter in the NFL. Uh, I really do. And I think he's going to find his way into that role. Maybe he's not going to be a, ever be a top five fantasy running back, but he's going to be one of those guys 
um, that's 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 very reliable. Um, that uh, you know that that'll always kind of do it for you. So um, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of who's the uh, the the Bengal old Bengals running back, uh, Rudy Johnson. That I think he's going to be that kind of fantasy player, right? We're just like productive, but you're like this guy's not great. He's not he's not he's not perfect. But just every year he just keeps putting up fantasy numbers, and you just you just have to draft him. Hey, now, I'm not going to sit here and have you on my podcast and listen to you disparage the good damn name of Rudy Johnson. <laughs> Ru- no, I was, I was no, no I, 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 I'm joking, <laughs> but but Rudy Johnson did have a couple of years there where he was a borderline RB1, but I, I, I make this joke, but I want, I want you guys, the listeners, to remember that name, Keyshawn Vaughn. Give me two guys. Give me the guy who did the most to improve their dynasty draft stock and the guy that that you're most wanting on your team. And they could be the same guy there, Garrett. Well, the hard part is the guy that I'm wanting most on my team uh, out of out of the senior bowl. We didn't really we didn't really get to see a lot out of him. And and that was kind of a disappointment. So uh, Keyshawn Vaughn is a guy that I am really, really high on. I really enjoyed watching him in his career at Vanderbilt. The, 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 uh, unfortunately the situation wasn't the best at Vanderbilt. That offense was completely, completely putrid. The passing game, uh, left a lot to be desired this year. They had a total of 10 passing touchdowns for the entire season among all of their quarterbacks, uh, at Vanderbilt. So, uh, they were very, very one-dimensional. But he has such a complete skill set, very, very physical runner, despite not being imposing in size. Uh, I expect him to run probably in the mid four fours at the NFL draft. Really good in blitz pickup. There's just a lot to like there. And I think he could be a very, very good fit uh, for a team that's not looking to try to take a running back on, you know, on day one or maybe even early day two. But, you know, Early to anywhere in the third round there, I think he would be a good value. And I think he could end up being, I think he could end up being an extremely good running back at the next level. The guy that improved his stock the most, you know, Anderson from, from TCU is not a name that a lot of people have really been talking about much up until the senior bowl. And he really, uh, he showed what he was capable of uh, in the passing game, which I think there's a lot of teams where that's so much more significant than it had been in years past. And so uh, even before the senior bowl, we put up some, some tape of him on, on the website and uh, I was, I've been watching him and digging in a little bit and there's, there's quite a bit to like there. Um, He's not the fastest guy in the world, um, but he has decent speed enough to break away and, 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 and not get caught from behind on, on a regular basis. He, he reads, he reads the holes fairly well. He can get skinny when he needs to. Um, There's enough wiggle in his game, Uh, decent size, not huge, but decent size. So I, I think he's a guy that, that rose his stock enough for me to maybe try to nab him at the late, at the end of some of my, my drafts. Now, I know draft Twitter. I know that we have all fallen in love with the sort of the smaller or shorter running back from LSU. But I think with him coming in, I'm really curious to see what his weight is. He's not going to be a tall running back. LSU has him listed at 5'8". 
So, you know, if he comes in at five, seven and a half, he's going to have to be very impressive in every other, you know, underwear Olympic event to really elevate himself. But I do think that uh, based off of his high school measurables and some of the skills that he put on tape at LSU, he is going to have a very good combine. And if he does, man, I, I think we might be able to see him, you know, it would be nice to see him go middle of the second round in the NFL draft. Uh, so I think he's got a lot to gain uh, by just him, you know, his height and weight, and then his testing measurables, of course. And then one of the, something that people may not know about Edwards Elaire, I think his interviews are going to be really important. A couple of years ago, he was involved in a homicide type deal at LSU where uh, he, you know, shot and killed somebody in self-defense. Uh, he was a uh, licensed uh, concealed firearm holder, but still being involved in something like that. Um, it was a big story when it happened. The thing was, he wasn't a big name player at the time, so it didn't get as much hype. So I think that's going to be important for him to sort of answer at the combine. So I think Edwards Elaire is a guy that has a lot to gain with the solid combine. I did not know that. That's a. I didn't either. That's did a you very. That's see, a very. This is why you bring Ray on because Ray Ray got the goods. I, I've yeah, not man. heard that it was, anywhere. It was, it was crazy when it happened, man. And and again, it wasn't a big story because he. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't anybody at that point in time. But, yeah, he, I mean, he killed somebody. It was self-defense that he was being robbed with a teammate. But uh, he shot and killed somebody. And it was a, it was a big deal when it happened. So I do think that he's going to have to answer those questions. And, you know, it's, it's a big part of his combine. Measurables, weigh-in, on-field stuff, and interviews. Let me ask you a question. What, what is the one, uh, I guess, underwear Olympic event that he has the most – to overcome is there like is there like a broad jump that, that you think could be a concern is it the 40 which one will he excel at and which one do you think he'll struggle with you know honestly I think all of his coming out of high and again high school testing numbers are inaccurate to say the least all right it's a lot of handheld times inaccurate laser times he I'm at four four 40-yard dash in high school. I think he had like a 38-inch vertical jump. I mean, he's – I'm not concerned with him in any of the events. I really want to see what his height comes in at, all right? Let's just say, for instance, what if he's five six and a half? What if he's five six and a half? Does that Does that change your opinion of him being a potential three-down workhorse? Uh, I, I'm just hoping – remember, we were all hoping Kyler Murray came in at 5'10", and somehow – he did, even though it looks like he's probably like five nine. I, I'm just hoping Edwards Elaire comes in at five foot eight that he was listed at LSU. I think that is his biggest event in quotes to overcome at the combine. I like. I will say that Devin Singletary last year did him a favor because Devin measured in at five foot seven. So we've seen that it took yeah. a long time. Uh, they had to get the the aged one Frank Gore out of the way, but eventually Singletary took over. I think the first one, especially at where his kind of ADP is fallen in rookie drafts is LaVisca Chenault Jr. I mean, the two questions I always kind of ask myself when I'm evaluating a prospect is, A, am I weighing circumstance too heavily? And B, can the NFL offensive coordinator weaponize his player strengths? And I think the answer to the first one, to A, is I think we've, we weighed 
hit LaVisca Chenault's circumstances too heavily. I mean, a lot of times with, with guys like Chenault, they, you know, Colorado played for a system that he was the star of the show, right? And you want to get the ball in his hands in any way possible. And a lot of times for them to win games, that had to be in the most efficient way possible. So we saw a lot of bubble screens, a lot of motions. We saw him take the ball at Wildcat quarterback. We saw him take the ball as a traditional running back. We saw him play tight end. I mean, any way they could get him the ball, they, they needed to. And I think an NFL offensive coordinator can weaponize his strengths. My biggest question for him is health. But if he was 100% healthy, if you gave me a guarantee that LaVisca Chenault will have a healthy career in the NFL, he is a top 12 talent in this class absolutely every day of the week. He's the most intriguing player in this class because he was never traditionally used as a receiver. He played tight end, running back, wildcat quarterback. He was their goal line running back, for crying out loud. And I think that muddies his development. You can never consistently be what the NFL wants you to be or, or people see you as and as a, as a position player. That muddies your development um, and your learning curve. Um, but he's probably the only player I can truly say that without injury, he's a top eight player at two positions. He's a top eight running back. He's a top eight receiver. I mean, if you watch him run the ball, I mean, he would he would run over linebackers on fourth and one, and he'd you know he'd make the safety miss at the second level and take it to the house, you know, in motion. So I mean, he does so many great things with the ball in his hand, and he's a guy I'm extremely excited about, and especially at his price. I mean, you can probably get him close to the third round now. You know, because of the injuries, three surgeries in 16 months, obviously that, that's a scary thing. But for me, the upside is is tremendous, man. The ceiling is super high with him. He has that Pro Bowl, all pro ceiling because of the type of player he is at six foot two twenty-seven. And the next guy I'm gonna talk about is kind of the opposite size as, uh, as Chenault, and that's um Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I, I think we're kind of forgetting him at the top of this running back class. And he's the best receiving back in this class bar none, like absolutely 100, 100% every day of the week. He, he's really good on what the, what the NFL is starting to do, and there's, there's so many more angle and option routes going on. I think guys like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, that's kind of bread and butter to their game. I think that's bread and butter to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He does a great job at that, and, and Burrow was super efficient throwing those routes um, this year at LSU. And I think NFL offensive quarters are going to want to weaponize that specifically. And I think his threat as a receiver is going to keep him in that potential 100-target realm. And that's definitely in the realm of possibility. And I think when you look at that, that alone is a high-end RB2. If you're getting 100 targets a year, sign me up. And then you, you put in rushing upside to that. I think he's a way better rusher than people are kind of giving him credit for because of his size. But he weighs about 207 pounds. He's 5'7", 207. You know, we... He, he weighs just as much as Devonta Freeman. He weighs more than Christian McCaffrey. He's about the same size as Dalvin Cook. I mean, the, the, the weight doesn't really matter that much to me, but it's the way he processes information that we kind of talked about with Cam Akers and what, how he doesn't do that as well as some of these guys in this class. Edwards Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor put on a master class of what that looks like at the collegiate level. And I think the way he manipulates second level, you know, especially with safeties and linebackers, I think he's a really good fit for a lot of NFL teams. And I think any offensive corner will use his strengths as a receiver and then potentially have him grow into a, you know, more of a 15 to 18 touch role as his career progresses. But I'm really excited about both of those guys. And those are guys that I think you can get, like you said, Randy, is screaming values in this year's draft. 
this this has nothing to do with the player's talent. This has everything to do about the cost for this player. Um, so the guy that I'm not drafting at all ever in this rookie draft is going to be LaVisca Chenault. Um, so he's the wide receiver from Colorado. Um, go Buffs! If you're in, if you're, if that's your team. Um, but so this, this comes down to two main things for me. One, I, I don't think his talent is as good as some of the players at the back of the first round in rookie drafts. Cause right now we're seeing value of him at the tail end of the first round, early second round. And I have him as a tier three or tier four guy. And I just have guys above him that I would rather be taking. Second, he isn't a good route runner, and he's but he's a very versatile player, probably one of the most versatile guys uh, that you're going to be seeing. And I just don't know how many offensive systems are actually going to utilize his talents. Um, it's the same thing that we saw um, with Cordell Patterson going to the Vikings. It's the same thing we saw when Kevin White was actually alive on the Bears. Um, it's the same thing we saw John Ross early in his career with the Bengals, right? So it's that same thing that we're seeing over and over again with these guys that are incredibly talented that just don't go to the right system. And I don't, you can't give the chiefs every player, like every wide receiver, um, to make their stock go up. So I just don't see many NFL systems that are actually going to utilize him the way that he needs to be utilized to get the fantasy production that you want. I'm talking about the guy that Jerry and Nick turned me on to about a year and a half ago, and that's LaViscus Chenault. This kid is going to show up looking like a specimen, but I, I think that he has to have, I don't want to say a flawless combine, but I think he's got to have a great day of medicals, and I, I think that he's going to need to do at least average in some of those agility metrics. So I'm going to go back to our guest, Ray. I like who you have at the wide receiver what do you think about Leviscus? What do you see as being the the event that could really hinder him? And then tell us about your guy, because your guy's very polarizing. A lot of the community loves him. He's just not getting a lot of national love. Yeah, I think Chenault is, you know, when you just look at his his profile, right? 6'2", 220 pounds, the, the receptions, how he plays, the rushing capability. It's It's hard not to get excited about his potential ceiling, what he could be. Here's the problem with Chenault. <laughs> Here's the problem. Every single game that I watched Colorado, it seemed like every time he got hit, he was getting up slow. He needs help from a, his teammate. He's limping off of the field. He's missing a series. He's out for the next game. He misses two weeks. He comes back, has 250 yards, then he's out for it. He's just, he's always, he's always getting nicked up. He had a torn labrum. He had a, a banged up foot that held him out uh, throughout the end of his sophomore season, all the way through spring practice. I just, I would prefer not to invest in a player that I already know has an injury history uh, like that, especially the type of wide receiver he is. He doesn't win with finesse. He doesn't win with, you know, just supreme technique. I mean, he's a physical physical dude. He's not running out of bounds. He's trying to run people over. That's how they used him at Colorado. They put him at quarterback, direct snaps, run the ball. I just, 
and I don't know how fast he is. You know, 40-yard dash is kind of overrated for certain positions. But wide receiver, you would like to see, um, you know, them have some speed. Now, can he be an Anquan Bolden type? Absolutely. I would prefer not to invest in a player that already has an extensive injury history like Chenault. Uh, so I think he's, you know, I want to see his speed. Would like to see his lateral agility, and then I want to hear that his his medicals come back clean as well. For me, Jalen Rieger, um, I think is going to really struggle in the NFL getting off the line of scrimmage. I think he's going to struggle in the NFL of actually beating safeties deep. Like he has that speed, um, and he has some of that deep speed, but I. I I don't think he's as um, as I don't say athletic, but I don't think he's I don't think he gets up to that full speed uh, as quickly as a Tyree Kill or as quickly as a Marquise Brown last year. Um, I, I think there's some downside with him where if um, he, he's not going to just like straight out burn you uh, when he's playing against NFL corners. When he played against good cornerbacks, you know they they handled him and they could handle him well. And maybe he'll beat you deep once, but you know, I almost, I almost think maybe he's more of a, a Michael Hardman, you know, type of player that that's that's raw and has these physical talents. You can use them in some some smart ways, but I don't think he Jalen Rieger is ever going to be the guy. And to me, and it's such a good receiver class that that makes me knock him. Down. I'd rather have a KJ Hamler than a Jalen Rieger if you want raw speed. So what you're saying is you feel like you can get a very similar guy at a cheaper price later in your rookie draft. Is that a fair? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think Rieger's going to be a guy I don't have a lot of because there's so many analysts out there that are high on him. That's going to influence a lot of people. This receiver class is deep. I, I'm definitely going to lean, you know, quarterback and running back heavy and uh, kind of clean up on value. But like Jerry and I talked about on our Patreon, I, I, I'm more about getting it right than being right. And just because I had this guy outside my top five at one point doesn't mean that I'm not going to pivot. Um, I can only see so many mock drafts from, again, Todd McShay and, you know, all these other you know, national analysts having this guy. These are connected guys, and they have this kid going the back end of the first round. I've seen him mocked to Green Bay. I've seen him mocked to the Saints. And then you see the combine performance where he ran a four four three forty. His speed score was one hundred four point nine, and then his uh, burst score was one twenty six point eight. He didn't do the agility drills. Um, good size, and again, he's got a national championship pedigree. Looked good. I don't love the comparable to Tyler Boyd. I would like to see someone a little bit more elite than Tyler Boyd. I don't want good. I want, you know, great to elite level player, but I think he did himself a huge favor. I think he may have solidified his uh his status as a uh wide receiver, you know, top five pick right behind the big three of Rager and Lamb and Judy. But um, you know, you can't have upside without downside. There were some guys that uh that were some big losers. Uh and I my question same thing is who was the biggest loser not named LaVisca Chenault? Because LaVisca, to his credit, he did try to compete. He obviously had a core, uh, groin, lower body, weird, you know, muscle injury. But, you know, he gave it his best shot. But uh, I, I'm not going to hold that against him. I like it when a guy competes. So 
Uh, I'm going to throw it back to Angelo. Angelo, what did you think about Justin Jefferson? And then just roll right into your guy. Sure. Um, absolutely. I love Justin Jefferson. I loved everything I've seen on tape um, when I watched him live at LSU as well. Uh, he's a guy that I think NFL teams are going to look at as kind of the future of what the slot receiver is kind of becoming here. And I think for him, running in the you know low four fours, that was, that's a massive boost for him because he was a guy before who a lot of people mocked, you know, late first round, but early second round. But now he's kind of solidified himself with first round pedigree. Um, and I, I like him a lot. I think now you can kind of move him around. Um, you put him at the X and move him around the formation a little bit more. But I mean, he, he has downfield speed. Uh, he's extremely good in short areas. Uh, and he's, he's great. He's going to be really good against at slot corners in the NFL. I think he's going to um, cause a lot of problems with his size and length um, and his lateral movement skills for sure. Denzel Mims, uh, wide receiver, I believe out of Baylor. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm correct on that. Correct. He's six foot three, two 205 pounds, uh, got an amazing catch radius, elite burst. Things that I read that were concerning was that he is average at the catch point, and the word lazy popped up in a couple of write-ups. Now, now that's a big red flag for me. Yeah, I, I don't like the word lazy. You know, he's lazy at times. You know, part of the reason why I was so in love with Anthony Miller when he came out of Memphis was because his coach said, this is the hardest working player I've ever had. Did it translate to great success for Anthony Miller? No, but he's improved year after year. And when you're coming out of some of these schools, now Baylor is obviously a Big 12 school, but when there's so much competition, you know, we were just talking about Van Jefferson, and obviously we know at the top of the draft is Judy and Lamb. When you're competing in this kind of a draft class, I hate to hear the word lazy, but Garrett, tell me what you know about Mr. Mims. Yeah, Mims is another one of these guys that I think if if this had been a year or two ago, uh, the hype would have been a lot higher on Mims, but there's just there's such a plethora of talent um, here that when there are guys that I'm kind of like, Meh, I have no problem on passing on him because there's so many other good options. And that's kind of where I'm at right now with Mims. He does have some crazy long arms and he can make some spectacular catches at times. He He's not as as bursty as I like some of my guys to be. I, I'm especially with the trend that we're seeing in the NFL, some of these guys that are the big bodied guys that are going to make some, some good catches, but it's, it's more the contested catch. If they're not able to separate as well. It's hurt. Some of these guys. Now I'm not saying you can't be successful that way, but the, the game sense tends to be trending that way. And there's enough other things like you mentioned a little bit lazy. You can see that on his routes at times where you can tell that he was the second, third, fourth read on that play. And yeah, he's not, he's not going to give it all. You know, so so that can be a little little frustrating at times. So he's a fine player, and is the upside there? Absolutely. So if you're wanting to bank on upside alone, totally a fine play. But but I think there's a little more built-in risk with Mims than there is some other guys. But I have seen him in the mid twenties. I've seen him as high as twenty-one to the. Uh, Eagles, I've seen him as uh, as far as down as like 34 to the Colts in, in some mock drafts. He is Denzel Mims, 
And man, has this this guy got the steam on him. He's got the athletic profile. He is a Baylor receiver. Jerry, I know you love some Denzel Mims. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a preemptive. So what do you got on Denzel Mims, Jerry? Listen, now I did I did mock him to 11 to the Jets because that's a super Jets move, uh, which is why I sort of went that route. But I do love Denzel Mims. I'm a sucker for big fast guys. I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I grew up with Calvin Johnson and Herman Moore and all these guys. When I see them, oh, it's like syrup just sliding down a big pile of pancakes. It just warms your soul to see it. And that's what Denzel Mims is to me. He just makes me feel good. He's like he's like like I'm he's tucking me into the womb and just making me feel warm and cuddly inside. Big, fast, can make big plays. I love him. And if he does end up going in the first round, which I'm not, listen, that's been in mocks everywhere, but I don't trust mocks as far as I can throw them. And I got these little noodle arms that can't throw a damn thing very far. But if he does end up into a conducive situation, you know, Packers and any one of these places, the Colts, second round, oh my God, I'm going to be so happy and so thrilled except for i might not because i probably won't get him because then the hype will go through the roof and if he gets drafted to be the alpha dog in houston and he gets matched up with deshaun watson for the beginning part of his career (laughs) give me all that smoke baby Oh my goodness! I should give you a double. That's my type, but but I'm 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 gonna roll over to uh, to Angelo. So I, I pulled him up on Player Profiler. His four three eight forty was ninety six percentile. His speed score was ninety six percentile. His burst ninetieth percentile. His catch radius ninety six percentile, and his agility score a lowly sixty seventh percentile. Uh, most comparable to Chris Godwin. Where are you at with this guy? I, he has just come on like a freight train. I mean, I, I don't believe the hype. I mean, one of the things that I look at with receivers is obviously production. You have to dominate at the collegiate level in some way, shape, or form if you want to have success in the NFL. Over his last nine games, he had 100-yard game. That shows up a lot on tape. A lot of inconsistencies. Obviously, he has the catch radius. Yes, he he's fast. He doesn't play as fast as he timed, and that it's a problem to me when we always have to go back and say, "Oh my God, who is who is this guy?" After the NFL Combine, before the Combine, he wasn't on anyone's radar with the you know in, in the top eight nine receivers, at least from ones that I saw ADP wise. But I think that's warranted. I think he, he started off the season really hot. I think like four out of his first five games were 100 yard performances. And then after that, like the next nine, one 100 yard performance. And I think when you look at it, you know, I guess holistically, it's what did he do on the field that's better than some of these other guys in this class? Did he have a stretch of play or did he physically dominate and take over games? And from where he's going, it, the answer should be yes. But it, to me, it's no. Uh, I'm, I'm not a giant fan of Mims. Um, I think he's fairly one-dimensional as a prospect right now. Um, I don't think he has a super diverse route tree. I think he's more of a project than a complete player right now. Um, at his ADP, he's, he's not a guy I'd want to go after right now. But, um, you know, if landing spot – Houston's an interesting one because he'll, he'll be force-fed targets there. But if landing spot puts him, you know, at 30 to the Packers, then, you know, 
that's a different story um, playing with Aaron Rodgers and, and Devonta Adams. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm out on Mims at his ADP. All right. Well, at his ADP, you and I are you and I are in, in lockstep here. It's I, I can't believe the hype. I mean, this guy is just meteor meteoric, is the best I can say. And I think you said it very eloquently when you said if he winds up in Green Bay with Rodgers and someone to help him in Devonta Adams, okay, I'm you, you you've got my attention. But if if he winds up in a place like in a crowded wide receiver room, uh, I've seen him mocked to Minnesota at like 26 overall, where it's him. I, I do like Adam Thielen, but but Kirk Cousins and a vanilla offense that was so vanilla that Stephon Diggs ran himself to Buffalo. Uh, talking Denzel Mims, uh, Henry Ruggs the third. And Justin Jefferson. I was listening to a young man. His name's John Middlecoff. He hosts the Three and Out podcast. Sure. He, he's got connections to the league. He was a former scout. He said that a wide receiver coach said he may not be, and he being Justin Jefferson, may not be the biggest star in the league, but that he's a guy who will not fail. Uh, Mims was the athletic freak and has gotten a lot of, I guess, publicity or runs since the Senior Bowl. And then Henry Ruggs. I find him fascinating. I think that if he lands with the right offensive coordinator, I don't think Tyreek Hill is you know re- uh, repeatable. But it, in the right situation, I don't know. I, maybe I have a thing for Rugs. But what do you have on those three guys? Yeah, well, Justin Jefferson's my favorite wide receiver in this class. He's not my top ranked guy, but he's my favorite, and he's not far away. Um, <laughs> he's John Middlecoff's right about that, and I think the scouts that that are talking to probably seen the same things I do. He's a extremely smart and intuitive football player. He understands how to play the game well. And what that means, you know, on the field when you watch it is that he has good peripheral vision so that he and timing so that when he's an open field player, whether with the ball or without the ball, he finds the open space, whether it's pursuit coming from the backside and he has the ball in his hand. He's trying to make the man miss in front of him, but he feels the back the backside pursuit. He can time it so that that backside pursuit man dives for air and he still makes the man over the top miss. I mean, just that kind of feel for what's going on around him at multiple points. And that's not something you can teach. Um, You know, that comes from experience and someone who just has a good feel for what goes on. He's also someone, you know, when it comes to after the first route doesn't break open, he excelled with Joe Burrow to finding the open space. Some receivers you'll see even in the NFL that, you know, when they don't get open right away, you can see them kind of having to think about where that open space might break. They don't have that awareness of what the coverage is trying to do pre-snap to, to just instantaneously turn up field or turn to a side or make a move that makes the man covering him tight, make that man miss and be working in the open areas. And just Justin Jefferson does that well. He's a fantastic blocker. Doesn't matter for fantasy other than that it's going to keep him on the field in a lot of situations where maybe a lot of other guys who might play the slot um, might not be able to stay on the field. And they might use him because he can hold his own as a, as, as a blocker to seal off edges um, against outside linebackers and safeties. But he can play inside. He can play outside. He to me, he's kind of a mix of Keenan Allen and DJ Chark. If you maybe not on the same level of athletic ability as either one, but he's 
just a notch, maybe a half notch below those guys on that level. But if you combine those two, what you're getting is a is a player who can play all three of the wide receiver positions, most likely will be used in the slot the most. So he's going to be a high catch player, um, a high volume player who can also make big plays. Henry Ruggs, like him a lot. I don't think he's polarizing at all. I think you just have, I think it's, this is kind of a product of people who go, I've seen fast players fail and I don't really study the draft all that much. I just kind of study the outcome of the draft. And, and so therefore he must be Ted Ginn or Bernard Berrien, um, a guy who, who just, you know, dominated the college level, but he had it easy because he played for a big powerhouse of a school or a successful program that year with a good quarterback and, you know, whatever. Well, listen, Henry Ruggs knows how to catch the football. He has a few frame issues with framing his hands, but it's in one very specific part of the game that's easily correctable. Otherwise, he goes up and wins the ball and makes some difficult plays with his hands. He can take contact. You may not see it all the time. People are like, well, I don't see it every week. I don't see it in every game. So therefore, he doesn't do it, you know, and I can't find it. All he does is make uncontested plays. Well, my job's to kind of watch as much tape as possible so that I can see definitive plays that, you know, either a pattern of plays that work out well or plays that are so definitive you go, that's not luck. You can put the pen down on searching for um, whether or not that guy is going to be successful against contact and he's had those type of put the pen down moment plays and that i'll use that i take that phrase from mark schofield um who's who often uses that put the pen down moment as as one of his mantras um he reminds me i think tyree kills again i agree with you i don't think tyree kills the upside for him i think i mean it it's like he'd have to really blow it out of the box to be that guy and the difference between those two is that tyree kill was a running back at oklahoma state he understands how to run with balance with a low center of gravity. Same way that maybe Steve Smith, who wasn't a running back, but you know, don't tell him that because he might prove you wrong, um, even on that bad Achilles that he that he probably has now, and and dust off his cleats and come back in the league to show you that maybe he could do that for some plays because he's that kind of player. Um, but you know, Hill's more of a Santana Moss type of player to me, and you know, people who are fantasy owners might think of Santana Moss and go. Well, that's not very impressive, but if you look at some of his better years um, and then you think what happened if he were in offense with a stronger arm quarterback and um, spread out the field as opposed to being in two wide receiver sets and against defenses that could manhandle you at the line of scrimmage compared to what they do now, the post Tom Brady era where now that, you know, quarterbacks protected all the time and the, and the defenders can't really push and shove as much as they did you know, before Tom Brady got into the league, um, then, you know, and I'm not being going off against Tom Brady. I'm just saying that he happened to be that era where all this kind of happened um, and changed. I think Santana Moss would have had a huge career. And I think that he's on that level of talent. And to me, if that means that where Santana Moss stack up to Tyreek Hill, I think he's maybe a shade below that, just kind of a, 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 a tier to a half a tier below that, but very good player. Ruggs should be productive immediately and he should have some big, he should certainly have some big weeks this, um, this year. If we, if we have a season. He is Henry Ruggs. The third, very, very fancy. When you add that third at the end of your name, very British almost. Where, where are you at Henry Ruggs? Uh, just my type. I mean, for me, I think, 
there's a lot to be said on Ruggs. And I think a lot of people um, kind of miss who he is as a player because of the 4-2-7. I think we, we know he has all-time elite play speed. He pulls it at the combine. But if you look at the track record of guys who, who've ran in that, in that era, you know, in that area, like guys like Jacoby Ford, Marquise Goodwin, guys like that who haven't been that successful at the NFL level, that's where you kind of get like clumped in and grouped in. But I think the where Rugg stands out is he's extremely good in contested catch situations, um, big, strong hands, great at the catch point, extremely physical player for a guy of his athletic caliber. And I think that's what really separates him from some of the other receivers in this class is he's not afraid to go over the middle. Obviously, he has, he has all the speed in the world to burn, but he has the tools to be potentially a legitimate number one option in offense. However, I think he will have more of a real-world impact than a fantasy impact. But I think in the right offense, he's, he can absolutely shine. Imagine him going to Philadelphia, you know, with, with Wentz and Co. there. I mean, that'd be a fantastic spot for him. Um, but I just think he's a much more complete player than people are thinking right now. And I think the biggest reason is because, you know, history is kind of not on his side in terms of comparables. But there also has never been a player run under 4-3 and also jump 40-plus inches in the vertical. So he's, he's not just a speed threat. He's an extremely explosive athlete. Um, and I think he gets mislabeled as, as just a speed guy, quote-unquote. But I, I think he has, you know, all-time elite play speed. But he can also win at all three levels and is a lot better of a pure receiver than I think he's given credit for. Michael Pittman, wide receiver USC, is getting no hype at all. And, and Michael Pittman, you might hear that name. You might ring a bell. Michael Pittman, the running back with like the humongous guns with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, that's his son. Okay, the guns aren't the same way, but he's 6'4", 220, and he is uber athletic. I would argue he's better after the catch with a football in his hands than he is beforehand, which when you want to talk about a 6'4", 220 guy, that's not normal. And people are like, that's Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry was 6'2", 220, by the way. If you want to look at the combat, he's not 6'4", 220. We'll see what, what Pittman measures in as. But throughout his career... He only had 70 receptions his first three years at USC. And I was like, oh, man, I thought he was going to have a bigger, you know, he had some splash games his junior year. Early in his career, he had some splash special teams plays. But this last year, he finally put it together. 101 receptions, 12, 75 receiving yards, 11 touchdowns. That's a big season in college football. And he's big. He's um, I would say aggressive after the reception. He can high point the football. I wanted to be a little bit more aggressive that way. I don't think he's a great route runner yet. But when you talk about athlete size, good after the catch, that's rare to have a guy that big be good after the catch. So right now he's really intriguing to me, and nobody's talking about him. Hey, Jerry. You, yeah. You know who? I, yeah, you setting me up for this one. Go ahead. Well, do you know who I had drafted two years ago in a Debbie draft, my very first Debbie draft? With like a late third round pick, I I do because I co-own that team. Would you like to tell the people? No, that that's why I ask you to tell the people. Tell it the people. is Michael freaking Pittman, USC wide receiver. He is still on our roster. We traded away Eno Benjamin, but we still got Michael Pittman sitting there. 
Michael Pittman Jr. Now, Michael Pittman Jr. is a big dude. He's six foot three, two twenty, and a wingspan of seventy eight and a half. He's a big dude, and he said at the Senior Bowl that anyone who thinks he's going to run a four six forty is going to be very disappointed. As in that he thinks he'll be in that four four range. I'm not so sure about that. I think the fact that he's a willing blocker, he's got an NFL lineage, his father played in the NFL. I just think this guy has a lot to gain because if he tests real well at the combine, I've heard him going in the mid-second round of the NFL draft. Ironically, he went in the mid-second round of our pre-combine Superflex mock draft to me because I'm a big stand for Mr. Pittman. I'm a mark, if you will, for Mr. Pittman. But I want to go to our guest. You've known these guys since uh, probably since like junior high. You're like that Shane Hallam level. Uh, what do you think about Pittman, and what do you think, Ray, uh, are his biggest obstacles to overcome in Indy? I am a USC Trojans fanatic. I, I grew up watching USC play, so I am probably one of the biggest USC player critics there there is out there, and I love Michael Pittman Jr. I think he is a fantastic wide receiver, and I know a lot of analytics guys don't like wide receivers who stayed for their senior season. Context always matters, and USC was pathetic, not last season, but the past two years before that on offense. It was just a mess with Clay Helton, T. Martin at offensive coordinator, I was surprised Amon Ross St. Brown was able to do what he did in that offense. But Michael Pittman Jr. at 6'3", 6'4", legitimate 220 pounds, I think he's really going to surprise people with his 40-yard dash time. It wouldn't shock me if he was low 4'5", high 4'4", at that size. He's got NFL pedigree. His father played running back in the NFL for a number of years. We all remember Michael Pittman and his massive biceps. That is his dad. Um but he is a physical player. He can stretch the field. Uh, and he's very good. He was a Blitnikoff Award finalist for one of the top wide receivers in college football. Uh, that went to Jamar Chase. He was in the category with CeeDee Lamb. But I think just his time, you know, you, we want to see big wide receivers be able to move. I think he's more agile than a DK Metcalf, although he's not as fast and probably not as strong. But I think he's going to have a solid combine, and his 40 times should shock some people. I muted myself. I'm goofy. Uh, um, I love uh, it when you have professional podcast hosts on the show. <laughs> so um, my 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 guy here is Lynn Bowden Jr., wide receiver from Kentucky. Um, I think I think he's really really interesting. Um, I can already see Nick's face, and I know he's got words about him. But um, so I think I think what you're what you would be getting is not as refined as a route runner. And, and I'll tell you why the quarterbacks got injured. Lynn Bowden became the quarterback. Um, so he wasn't playing wide receiver and he put up as a wildcat quarterback, basically 151 rushes for 1238 yards and 11 touchdowns for just an extreme athlete. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's just really interesting. And when we're thinking about where he's going in drafts right now, um, we're seeing him as a late third, early fourth round pick and a guy with that athleticism. Um, I would, I would be willing to take, take the shot on him. Um, he's going to be a little more raw of an athlete, 
um, well, excuse me, not as an athlete, but as a wide receiver, um, just because he didn't have that extra year to develop um, as a wide receiver instead just was playing a wildcat quarterback, but he's, he's definitely a guy that, that I'm willing to take a shot on. I, I yeah, like it. Nick, it, go ahead. It, no, and, and I just, I'm just messing with you. I, I can, I don't know that I disagree with you if that's the price, because when you want to look at Kentucky, they've done this before. And the guy's name was Randall Cobb. And you want to look at someone that was between positions that was just a good athlete that's done it before. It's Curtis Samuel. So if you have lower expectations and you look at, at him, he's a playmaker. He just makes guys miss. He makes big plays and he's not tiny either. I mean, he's listed at you know, six foot six, one around one ninety five, 200. That's good enough size to be a receiver in the NFL. So if you want a guy and you want to watch how he runs his routes at the senior bowl or at, um, he won't be at the senior bowl. Sorry, it's a junior. If you want to see how he how he does at the combine, things like that, you this is a guy to kind of pay attention to. How does he? How is he with the when they run that line with all of the the uh, people throwing footballs? How is he securing the football? How is he looking to catch in all that kind of stuff? This is a guy to pay attention to because he's an athlete. It's going to take a little while. Terry, by the way, Terry McLaurin was the same way. Terry McLaurin was this like tweener guy. And then his last year became this like good wide receiver at Ohio State. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there at all, Kane. Uh, I want to hit you with Brian Edwards and a guy from your neck of the woods, Tyler Johnson. Now, Tyler's got a great first name. We'll, we'll give you that. It's he hails. Great. It is great. Hails from a great state of Minnesota. So he's got a lot yeah. going for him. But what can you tell me about these two big guys? Brian Edwards. Just hope he's not a, a Calvin Harmon for both these guys. Like Calvin Harmon had all the hype, you know, big time catches in college. Oh, he's he's my one oh three overall in this rookie class before anything. Like probably this time last year, Calvin Harmon was a lot of people's, you know, third one oh three. I hope that doesn't happen. Brian Edwards, I think, is a good receiver. I think he's gonna test better than Harmon. And I mean, just his style of receiver, if you're not willing to just throw your body and just like, like Preston Williams would probably say is the type of receiver that NFL is going away from, but just how Preston Williams is like, okay, I'm going to Brandon Marshall my way to relevant relevance. And just, I don't care if I'm going to get hurt or not. I'm going to catch this ball. Like that's Preston Williams, and I think that's what it takes for players like Tyler Johnson and Edwards, because you know you have the Laquan Treadwell. They they don't they're not great at breaking away from the defender. They don't have the space, you know, trying to create space with speed or explosion. They need to do it technically, and Tyler Johnson showed that I think in the bowl game. I just like I said, I, I fear for these two that they're going to get put in that Kelvin Harmon type thing. I know it's recency bias from last year, but I think I like Edwards more than Johnson. I know people are going to be shocked because of Minnesota and all that, but Johnson just has, I think a more average profile compared to Edwards. The the one thing that concerned me a little bit on Tyler Johnson is that he's not a super physical guy for a guy who's six foot two, two Oh five. Yeah. You know, he runs good routes. He, it's said that he's got a good football IQ. Um, his hands are okay. They're not elite or they're not bad. They're just okay. And he's not physical. It's just 
he kind of feels like a walking C plus. Like if he was a report card, he'd be walking around with a C plus on him. Uh, Brian Edwards, I actually kind of like more than than most. I just I fear that he is not going to be that great of an athlete. I don't think he's going to test out well. He says that he is. Some of these guys are going to have to be. Hey man, I want the NFL to tell me what these guys are, and and because draft capital means so much for these guys. We always tend to find good wide receivers, so I want to jump right into this. Um, I will go right back to Garrett. Now, any time that I refer to someone as my Terry McLaren, that means they're my boo. This is where I found Terry. <laughs> this is where I found Terry last year. I know you're a big yep. fan. You're an Ohio State guy. I actually Absolutely. traded. I actually traded him to you in the uh, ultimate Ultimate Dynasty Podcasters League. Uh, who who is your 2020 Terry McLaren? Like the guy that's just going to maybe be a little bit older, be a senior, but he's going to land and do big things. You know, after after this week, um, it's hard to not go back to the well of of, of the Ohio State wide receivers and and KJ Hill. Um, by all reports, had an incredible week, and you know they were showing some of the highlights of some of the one handed catches that he made. You know, there there wasn't a ton going on in the passing game the the best receiver at 87 yards and that was one of the running backs so you know everybody only got a, a few targets thrown their way but he is a a really really good route runner explosive player and you know what he's the all-time receptions leader at ohio state so even though he didn't put up the gaudy numbers that does seem to be a trend at ohio state uh they they don't tend to focus on one receiver they spread the ball a lot that doesn't mean these guys don't have talent we you know the guy that you could easily argue is the top receiver in the game right now michael thomas had a very disappointing profile coming out of ohio state and still produced very well so I, I do my best to remove my bias, but after after hearing all of those reports, it's it's hard not to be high on the kid. As a person that is a not a rival, but uh, a another Big Ten school fan that does not enjoy watching Ohio State win football games, I can tell you that KJ Hill is a bad mother. <laughs> that dude is good. <laughs> Shut man. your mouth. I I mean he he. It, when they showed the practices, when he he crossed my man up and he caught a pass from Shea Patterson, which is saying something, we can enjoy bashing <laughs> Shea Patterson. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, that dude is, that dude's awesome. Let's shift to tight end and then we'll just kind of talk about some some guys in general. Is Is there a tight end? This tight end class feels almost invisible. The Invisible yeah. Man movie is out, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a trendy movie. Yeah. But but I feel like the tight end position is the invisible position this year. Some people like Adam Troutman. Uh, some people like Cole Komet. Is there a tight end that you really like that maybe won't come and kill it in year one, but someone that you could see developing into a really nice move tight end or a real weapon for an offense? I mean, I like Troutman, but I mean, I'm still hesitant there. Um, I, I do think he has, out of this group of tight ends, the most potential to be sort of that full service, you know, inline NFL prototypical type tight end guy. A lot of these guys have more of that move tight end element to them. I mean, Komet, I think, has that. I think Bryson Hopkins from Purdue has that. You know, some of these guys might be big slots more than anything else. I mean, Albert always interesting. 
you know, the way he sort of splashed on the scene in the SEC at Missouri, you know, looked like he was going to be the next great NFL tight end and then sort of faded, you know, so you sort of wonder about them, you know, where he is right now, talking to him at the combine, he says he wants to model his game after Gronk and that's well and good. But, you know, when you watch him, there are times when he flashes, but it's seemed to have diminished since his, you know, redshirt freshman year. You know, a guy I sort of wonder about is Chase Claypool. You know, he says he's a wide receiver. He tested extremely well for a wide receiver and out of the gym for a tight end. He has tight end size. He's a willing blocker. You know, if I'm a team that is looking at this draft class and thinking, okay, well, we need a tight end. We're the New England Patriots, for example. We need a tight end. We're worried about Hunter Henry's knee history. We're worried about looking at Austin Hooper. He's somebody that struggles to beat one-on-one man coverage. And so we're worried about him sort of creating mismatches on a consistent basis. We're looking at this draft group and we're scratching our heads. I'm going to draft Chase Claypool and turn him into a move type tight end. I think he could be successful in that role. And so out of the guys that are potentially tight ends that excite me the most, it might be Claypool out of anybody else. I mean, Troutman and Claypool are probably the two. I like that Claypool. We talked about that during our mock draft as well, is that he could come into the league in like a a platform like my fantasy league or sleeper and come in initially with a wide receiver designation. And then once a year, at least I think it's once a year, it may be two times a year, that MFL will go back in and uh, change a player's designation. And if you were to get him in a tight end premium league uh, where you drafted him in like the third round and you ended up getting him converted to a tight end, it could be absolutely like hitting the lottery for I mean, a, a tight end premium. I, I, not that I've ever won an SFB or anything like that, but he's somebody that might win somebody a Scott Fishbowl. Because especially if something like that happens, you know, because if they bring back sort of the tight end premium like they did last year and you get Chase Claypool suddenly converted to a tight end who you drafted as a wide receiver, like that's a home run type of move. And I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, you know, because I'm now in my mind spinning ahead to this summer and I'm like, why did you do that, you chucklehead? Like keep and that idea to yourself. No, no like, one's listening. It's it's just uh, me and you. It's just me and you talking. Just two guys talking football. Just two guys talking. We're not even recording. We we need that men in black. That little uh, like ink pen that looking thing. Red, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the white light eraser. You you heard none of that because especially if, you, if if you've heard if you've heard it twice. Are you looking for a reminder of your fantasy football greatness? Are you looking? for something to set your league apart from those dime a dozen jabroni leagues out there then head over to trophysmack.com and hook your league up with the best trophies in the game today and not only will you get the best trophies in the game today you can get a free championship ring up to a 59.99 value by entering in the promo code dwz ring you pick out your trophy which one do you like? You put it in the cart. You add the ring to the cart. You add the promo code DWZ ring. Makes the ring free. And your league is now a step above the league down the street. So if you're looking for the best, you want to be the best in the game, you want to have the best league in town, go over to trophysmack.com, get that trophy, get that ring, use that code DWZ ring, and let's have a big season. 